Praise the Lord, everyone. It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Isn't it a miracle that God can take something that the enemy meant for evil, and he can just flip-flop it, and he can use it for good? I, I, don't, I can't do that. I've tried to change situations around in my life on my own. It's impossible. But God, he can do it. And I, I think about that, that concept all the time, and it just kind of, I don't understand. It just kind of blows my mind that the storm that you're in, that the thing that you think is destroying you, okay, that the weapon that's uh, formed to, to, to go against you, God said it will not prosper. Because I can take this situation that the enemy's trying to destroy you in, but if you'll trust me in it, I can actually make you better through it. That's a miracle. Only our God can do that. Amen? God's good. You can be seated tonight. I'm, I'm excited to be living for God in September of 2023. I believe that God has called each and every single one of us here for, for such a time as this. Amen. There's other parts of history that I, 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 I read about that I think would be interesting to live in. Um, but God didn't want, me, want us to live in that time. He put us right here, right now. And, uh, and the world's going crazy. I'm just, I, I was talking to Brother Wendell before service. I'm just like, I'm mad at the devil. Like, I'm just upset with this world and the world system and all that's going on. And God's called us. He knew that you were capable of living in a time like this. Amen? So here we are. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians 11 tonight. We're going to do part two of, of chapter 11. I did want to give a quick update on Brother Chuppy. Um, I actually got a chance to talk to them today. Um, they are, there's still like no, nothing scheduled as far as the treatment and whatnot goes. They actually, with some of the testing, they found, um, they got to looking at his um, intestines. And, and of course, he's had a lot of just issues since his colon cancer and just has never been able to digest food the right way. But they found at Mayo what was wrong. They found it. <laughs> Amen? They looked at the scan and they're like, this is wrong. You know, there was a part of the intestine that wasn't hooked up right. And uh, so they are planning and scheduling a surgery um, to fix that. So I I'm excited about that. Amen? So let's just pray that, uh, that it would be, you know, that God would just have his hand upon this surgery, that after the surgery that everything would mend right, that he would not have to have a, a bag um, after. That's kind of a, one of the biggest fears uh, when dealing with intestine and stomach and all that sort of thing. And then, that, and then they also believe that this issue, because there's stuff like leaking, not going to where it's supposed to be going, and it's causing a lot of other issues in his body. Of course, he hasn't been gaining weight and um, hasn't been able to gain strength. And they're, they're thinking that maybe this is part of the problem. So I'm just, we're just trusting God. So please just be in continued prayer uh, for them. And I believe, uh, I'm just believing that uh, um, they're going to come back home and uh, going to be able to, I'm just praying that they can enjoy some of the latter years of their life. That's my prayer. And, uh, 
Let's just be in continued prayer for them. God's good. First Corinthians 11, we, a couple of weeks ago we did talk um, the, about the first half of 1 Corinthians 11, talking about headship. We talked about the hair. Um, we talked about gender distinction. Um, we talked about how even nature itself teaches us some of these things and, and uh, that there's a, a proper order of, of the man and the woman. There's a proper order of the man, woman, God, and Christ. And, and I was thinking about that. I'm just thankful that God, the, the God that we serve is a God of order. Amen. Like there is a, a set structure and and we oftentimes, as, as human beings, we like the idea of freedom. Okay, we like the idea of, of liberty to do what we would like to do. But these two things, freedom and liberty, they only work with law and order. Isn't that interesting? True freedom and liberty only work when there is a proper law and order um, in action. So our country, right, we, we have a freedom. We're the, we're the land of the free, the home of the brave. We're some of the freest people in the world. But it's because of our law that makes us free. It's because of the law and order. And our laws were originally instituted and, and, uh, and formed off of Judeo-Christian values, so that's why we are as free as we are, because we have a good law system. And of course, some of that is, is uh, sort of going downhill, and we're sort of becoming a lawless country. Um, but without the law that governs us, it would be complete chaos. Um, and this is the same with God. He has an order and a structure, and we find true freedom and liberty in that order and structure. Amen. So within the, and I, I say this, I, I don't, I say this careful, but within the confines, if you will, in the, in the commandments of, of, of the word of God, because the, the Bible is straight, the, you know, the word of God and the instruction that God has given us is straight and narrow. Like God, I mean, here it is, right? It's pretty, it's pretty straight and narrow. There's some commandments that we are to obey. But in the, in the confines of the structure of the word of God, there is true life that comes out of it because God is a God of order and structure. So that's, we talked about a little bit of that in the first part of, of 1 Corinthians 11, headship and, and all that sort of thing. Well, we're going to start in verse 17 tonight. This is a, we're going to talk a little bit about the Lord's Supper and, uh, and Paul, Paul was getting after the Corinthians again here. Verse 17 says, now in this, so he kind of, he's switching subjects from what he was talking about with hair, and he's kind of going into another topic. He says, now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not. They're in trouble. Okay, Paul's like, I, I, I praise you not in this, that ye come together not for the better, but for the worse. Paul, he basically said, in what I'm about to talk to you about, I cannot praise you. I'm getting ready to, to correct you in something. And it was in regards to when they gather together um, as a church, um, specifically for the Lord's Supper. And he says, you are actually doing more harm than good when you gather together. 
That's kind of a, a sad state of affairs. Because really, when we, when we gather together as a church, uh, whether it be for church, whether it be for fellowship, whether it be for Bible study or potluck, or, or even if there's a group of people that are gathering together at somebody's house, that's still the church together, um, it should be an experience of edification, okay? It should be an experience of building up, of encouragement. We should strengthen each other. When I'm around the brothers and sisters of Christ, I should feel encouraged when I leave. I should leave church feeling better than when I came. I should be a better person. When we gather together, we should, there's, love should be the goal. Okay, when we gather together, we're talking to each other. We should, uh, uh, loving each other in unity should be the goal. And we should leave here better than when we came. I don't know if, I, I imagine we all can go back to specific experiences where you were around a certain group of people and you left and you're just like, man, I feel terrible. I've been there. I've done that. And then I've been around people like I get around them and I'm just like, man, I just, I want to draw closer to God. I want to, they, they challenged me. They encouraged me. There, there's some certain people that I, I continuously think about that just, they bear the fruit. And every time I'm around them, it's, it's an inspiration to me. Like, how can you be so humble? How can you be so nice? You're so kind. And it challenges me to be better. This is what should happen when the church gathers together. Amen? He goes on in verse 18, For first of all, when, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. I kind of like what he said there. I partly believe it. Paul, again, as he did in, the, in, in some of the opening chapters of 1 Corinthians, he addressed the, the divisions and the factions that the Corinthian church had. And, and the truth of it is, and, and I'm not going to go too far into this, but we've got to get it in our soul um, that we've got to strive for unity. We have to understand that this body works better together. Okay, that we are part of the same body. And it's the body of Christ and when we get that down in our soul, we will understand that, Brother Doug, I need you, and you need me. And, and, and there's sisters in this room, you need each other, okay? This body is fitly joined together, and it's at its best when everything is working together for the same goal, the same purpose. We don't got one arm reaching this way and the other arm reaching this way. I'm glad that when I walk, my legs are working together, okay, so this whole body can move forward, right, in, the, in, in, in a smooth motion, in the same direction. I can't imagine what it would be like if this leg wanted to go that way and this leg wanted to go this way. What would happen? The body would just stand still. And that's what happens when there's disunity in the body, the body stands still. And when the body stands still, it begins to be stagnant. Okay? And we all, I, I preached about that a couple weeks ago. If you didn't hear it, you should listen to it. I believe God was speaking to us about unity. 
Um, but we've got to get this concept that that sister that may irritate you, you need her. Okay? You need her. <laughs> that brother, I, I don't want to get too far. You need him. Okay? You need him. You're better with him. Can I get a, I want a resounding amen so I can move on. All right, thank you. Praise God. Where am I at here? Verse 18, first, for first of all, where you, oh, I already read that. Verse 19, for there must be also heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. This is kind of an interesting uh, thing that he said. He, he said, for there must also be heresies among you. First he's like, I hear the divisions, and of course we don't want division in the church, but then he's like, there must be heresies among you that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Basically what he was saying, he's, he's saying, I guess the good thing is about division is that it shows who is right and who is wrong. He said the good thing about division is that it shows who is approved by God and who isn't. And we, that's, that's a tough concept. This is a, this is a hard concept for me to grasp. Because um, there are seasons in the church um, where God does separate the wheat from the chaff. I don't like those seasons. I don't like, I don't like when people walk out the back doors. Okay, there, there are seasons where there is a pruning of the church where people leave and God allows it and it, it kills me. I don't, I don't like that. Um, I, I, a while back I was talking to this, about this particular subject with, uh, actually with Brother Robinette and he told me, he said that was one of the hardest lessons he had to learn as a pastor that sometimes God prunes the church and he says, you got to discern whether, whether to let them go or to go after them. But sometimes God is trying to make the church more fruitful. And he's trying to get the church to, um, to be more mature and to grow. So some of these things, you know, God, God will work through division sometimes. Not that, <laughs> I'm not asking for it. Okay? But again, what the enemy meant for evil division, God can take it and make a church stronger through it, okay? I don't like this subject. I'm going to move on because I don't, I don't want anybody to perish. I don't want anybody not to make, I don't want anybody to, to reject truth. I really don't. Verse 20 says, when you come together, therefore, into one place, he said, this is not, not to eat the Lord's Supper. He says, for in eating everyone taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. Verse 22, what? Question mark, have ye, have ye not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? He said, I praise you not. So Paul was addressing a, an issue here of how they were coming together they were congregating specifically for the, for the Lord's Supper in regards to communion. And we have to 
kind of make a, a distinction here between potluck and communion. And it seems that, that uh, Paul kind of lumps both the potluck and the communion together and calls it the Lord's Supper. Okay, but, the, but there is a difference between a potluck and the communion. Um, it was very common, of course, uh, for them to gather together and to eat and to fellowship. And, and we still do that today. The people of God like to get together and eat. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we like to have fellowship. It's the will of God. Okay? And, of course, we understand that the Jews, that was part of their heritage. The festivals that they had, they, this, this was part of, of their heritage. And, and from the onset of the church, people got together and they ate. Um, but at, and even, even Jesus at, at the Last Supper, if you read the story, it says Jesus and the disciples, they ate. Okay, they got together and they ate. You've seen the big long table. They're all sitting on the same side of the table. Doesn't make any sense, does it? But they ate the meal and then Jesus broke the bread. Then there was, so there was a potluck, there was a meal, and then they had communion. Then they broke the bread. So the, uh, just to make a, a distinction between those two parts that it seems that Paul addresses the whole as the Lord's Supper. So the issue was is how they were handling themselves with the potluck in preparation for the communion. And, and Paul, in, these, in verse 20 through 22, he addressed, he says, there's cliques, there's, you only eat with certain people, you only sit with certain people, and there was, there was uh, social status, uh, you know, uh, division going on, and, and the rich would bring their food and they would be full. And then the poor would be sitting there and they wouldn't have enough food to eat. And Paul said that even some were drunk, like, I'm thinking, man, I think we got problems. They had some problems. So this, this, this uh, part of the Lord's Supper where they gathered together and they ate, they were not handling themselves well. Because the whole idea of getting together as a church was to share, was to edify, was to create unity, was for the building up of the church. And the exact opposite was happening. It was not the proper way uh, to congregate, especially in preparation for communion. There was factions and divisions, and they, they thought that they were better than other people, and, there was, and the poor were being shamed because they didn't have anything to eat. And, and Paul said, you're disgracing God's church by acting this way. And he says, I give you no praise for this. Okay, so he is addressing a problem in, in the Corinthian church here. So we get into to verse 23, talking about the Lord's Supper, talking about communion specifically. It says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also uh, delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. 
This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So Paul was explaining this, this, uh, this process of, of, of the Lord's Supper and, and communion. And we're not going to do communion tonight. We'll probably do communion at the end of the year, the beginning of this coming year. Um, but he, he was explaining it, what he had received from Christ to, as far as instruction for this. The, the bread, of course, was Christ's body, which was broken for us. And the cup was his blood that was shed for us. And, and the main theme about communion, and of course, we don't believe that we're actually eating Okay, the, the Lord's you know, body and, and actually drinking his blood. We don't believe in, uh, uh, is it transubstantiation? Is that the word? Anybody? Okay, Trans, we don't believe that. Okay, but this was uh, something that was done to help it as a, in remembrance for what Christ did for us. Okay, Christ wanted us to not forget his death. That's the theme. He wanted us to remember what he did for us. Okay? And we don't like to think about death. It's not something that we try to remember. Okay? We don't like to think about losing loved ones. We don't, we don't uh, intentionally you know, try to remember the day of the funeral. We don't like to think about it because... It's a hard thing. But Christ wanted us to remember his death because we understand that through this death, it's how we were saved. Okay? Through his broken body, through the shedding of his blood, through the death, burial, and resurrection, we were saved from a life of sin. And Christ, he didn't want us to, to, to forget that to ever. He wanted this to be something that was constantly in our remembrance, thus the reason for communion. Okay? We read in Isaiah 53, it says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? I love that. Whom, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who is the arm of the Lord? Who is God's right-hand man? It was Jesus Christ. Okay? So the arm of the Lord is revealed through Jesus. And then the, the, uh, the next couple of verses talk about what Jesus did. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form no, nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid it as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Talking about Jesus. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Christ died for you. <laughs> and we cannot, we can't let this be cliche. 
We can't let this be something that uh, we don't think about, but we need to have it in our hearts that we would remember really what God did for us. Amen. Romans 5 and 8 says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve it. There was nothing that we did to deserve it. There was nothing, there was no good thing in me. I was guilty of of sin and, and the charge was death, but Christ died for us. And through his broken body, through his blood that was shed, we have I have an opportunity to be saved. Amen. This this should get you excited. That that the God of the heavens and the earth, the King of Kings, who is here from the He was here in the way beginning. Amen. He's omniscient. He's all-powerful. He knows the end and the beginning all at the same time. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He, he robed himself in flesh in the form of, he took on the form of a man. Amen. And he, he bled and died on a cross for you. This thing, this should be personal to you. This just shouldn't be something that that you hear me preach every now and then, but you should think about this. Every day you should think about what Christ did for you. It should be a personal thing. Amen? (laughs) He died for us willingly in a meek fashion. We were undeserving. We were still sinners. And he laid in a borrowed tomb. No permanent residence, amen? Amen? He didn't need any place to say, any place to lay his head because he knew, he knew that he was coming to live in you. He didn't didn't need a tomb that said Jesus on it because he knew it was only temporary because he was come, he he knew that he was coming to live in you, that you would be his residence, that you would be the temple of the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's what he did for us. And that's what we have got to to remember. And when we do communion uh, in a few months, we'll talk a little more about this. It's a serious thing. Actually, today when I was studying this, I was like, man, I I can't wait till communion. I I, I like communion. it's It's a serious thing. And we think about, and we really, we, we make it personal what God did for us. Amen? We move on to verse 27. He says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So again, I mean, we understand, and I, I think I've talked about this before, but it doesn't, that unworthily word there, it doesn't say unworthy, okay? It says unworthily, um, because we understand that none of us are really worthy, okay? None of us deserve anything. And as soon as you start to think that you deserve something, you're on a dangerous path. As soon as you think that you're entitled to something, You're on a dangerous, dangerous path. Because I understand that the only thing that I actually was entitled to was a residence in hell. That's what I deserved. 
So I'm just thankful to be a part of the kingdom. I, I don't deserve anything. I'm, I'm fine being a doorkeeper at the sanctuary. It doesn't matter. I'm just glad to be in the church because I didn't deserve anything. I'm not entitled to anything. And every good thing, anything, and I said this Sunday, but every good thing that we have in our lives is from above. Any good thing, any talent you have, any resource you have in your life, anything, any, if, you're, if you think you're smart, it's from, it's from God. If you think you're caring, it's from God. If you think you have this gift or, or that gift, it's from God. We didn't deserve any of it. Any good thing is from God because our righteousness is just as filthy rags. Our hearts are, are despi- desperately wicked. You know, when you receive a, a gift, it's called a gift for a reason because you didn't pay for it. You didn't do anything to earn the gift. So we call it the gift of the Holy Ghost. It was given to you, not because you were so special. Well, if you're like, well, I repented. Yeah, you did repent, but the only reason you were even given the opportunity to repent is because of godly sorrow. That sorrow that you felt was from God. And the goodness of God, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. So you can say, well, I repented. That's why I deserve the Holy Ghost. No, God allowed you to repent and he gave you the Holy Ghost. Amen? So when, we, so when we take communion, we need to take it with our hearts uh, being in a pure condition, a repentant heart, a conf- our sins confessed, uh, pure motives and, and nothing hidden, nothing fake. I was talking about one of my good friends the other day, I think in discipleship class. Some of you guys know him. Most of you guys probably don't know him. John Bennett. He's one of my... I still talk to him probably a couple times a month. He lives in Wisconsin now, but, and I don't think he'd care if I said this, but he struggled living for God for a long time, just constantly. And in and out, struggle after struggle. But, and today I will tell you that he's, he's married. He has kids in the church. They're a part of their church. They're, they're living for God successfully. One thing I always liked about John is he was just real. He was never fake. Like, he never hid his struggles from anybody. And I just love, I love the real deal. Like, he was not trying to be anybody that he was not. And uh, there's something to be said about not being fake and not being hidden, you know, hiding things in your life and, and uh, hiding sin. And, and on the outside, you, it looks like everything's right, but on the inside, you're not doing well. Um, we need to, when we approach God, especially in communion, which Paul was talking about, we need to, there, there can't be anything hidden. It needs to be confessed. Our heart needs to be pure. We need to make sure there's no hidden leaven in the lump. No hidden sin in the house. Because, and, and the truth of it is, is nothing is hidden. God knows. And you may, may fool some people for part of the time. Um, but you're not, you won't fool God. So, and I believe that, you know, Paul's talking about examining yourself. And I think, you know, of course we need to certainly apply this to communion. But I think we can apply this to our everyday life. Like we need to 
be able to examine ourselves, that we can ask God if there's anything hidden in our heart and, and if there's any dark corners in the house that we would say, God, can you just shine that light of the Holy Ghost? If there's anything that I don't even realize about myself, could you show them to me that nothing would be hidden? We understand that, that Jesus was the bread. He is the unleavened bread. Okay? He is the unleavened bread that had no sin in him. And he was beaten and broken for us so that, that he could make a way so that our house could be cleaned. Amen? And we, under, we read the story of the Passover. And, of course, they were given instruction back in Egypt, right? Um, the first Passover, how they were to get all the leaven out of their house. Okay? They didn't want any leaven in the house. And today, we don't want any sin in the house. We understand that just a little leaven, just a little bit, teenagers, just a little bit of sin, just a little bit of some hidden things that you guys are you're not telling everybody. I was a teenager once, okay? A little sin, will let, you know, it'll ruin the whole lump, just a little bit. So we need to rely and trust in the Holy Ghost to shine light into those corners, that God would help us take care of those sins that, that either we are hidden from us or we're just hiding from other people, okay? So our temple wouldn't have any leaven in it, wouldn't have any sin in it. And this is all a part of self-examination. And it seemed that the Corinthians, that they had a tendency to think that they were sort of a little higher than everybody else, that they a little exalted and they tended to look down on other people. Um, they thought that they had arrived with their spiritual wisdom and knowledge and, and their status. And we understand in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing some of these things. He's, he's addressing their self-righteousness. And Paul said, you need to examine yourself. He's like, what are you doing? You need to ask yourself, what are you doing? What's your motives? And we have got to be able through, uh, we have to be able to take our lives and our situation and look at the word of God like a mirror and, and let the word of God speak to us and show us who we really are. That we would take our lives and compare it to, to God's word and do some self-examination. And if you pray it, 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 through the leading of the Holy Ghost, he'll help you examine yourself. Okay, he will, he will help you do an honest audit, an evaluation of yourself. And as Christians, we've got to be able to do this. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, examine yourselves. Paul said it again in, in the 2 Corinthians, examine yourselves. For whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, but how Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. He said, Paul said, put yourself to the test. Test yourself. Take up, you know, I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to, Go a little sideways for a second. You know, we pray. We pray every day, God, I want to take up my cross. 
I want to deny myself, God, that this flesh, oh God, would be crucified. God, I'm sorry for my sins. God, I'm carrying that cross. I, I, we, we pray this prayer. So here, here's one way to test yourself. And, and if you think about it, Jesus, okay, he didn't put himself on the cross, right? It took people to nail him to the cross, okay? I'm going down this road again. God, you're carrying that cross. You're praying that God would help you deny yourself. And then when God sends people to nail you to the cross, you respond with fire. Okay? You respond with flesh. This is a good way to put yourself to the test. This is a good way, this is a good indicator of that audit, and that self-examination. You're, you're literally praying, God, help me deny myself. I'm taking up my cross. You can't nail yourself to the cross. So God will take situations, and a lot of times he'll take people, and the people will nail you to the cross. How do we respond to that? It's a very good indicator and a help with self-examination. Amen? God help me. I need help in this. I need help. Okay? I'm the first to say it. I need help with this. Okay? But I... I want to respond with the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. I still, I still can't quote the verse. Love, joy, peace. Meekness, gentleness, goodness, long-suffering. What am I missing? Temperance. I need, to remember, I need to memorize that verse. But I want to respond with the fruit of the Spirit. It's a good way to test yourself. How do you respond? We, and then... Kind of going back, back in, in, in direction here. Um, we, we, as Christians, we do need to make judgment calls, okay? Like, I don't believe in this whole idea of, uh, of that we're, you know, thou shalt not judge. The Bible doesn't say that, okay? As Christians, we do have to judge. But here's what I'll say, is judgment needs to start with you, Okay? You're, the, the most important thing that you judge is you. It starts with you. Everybody say me. I, I want to judge myself, okay? And this is a very scriptural concept. And uh, we, we, we spend a lot of time, and I, I shouldn't, I'm not making accusations. I'm just saying as a whole, people spend a lot of time judging others, but we fail to judge the most important thing, and that's us, okay? Even right now, okay, even right now, sometimes sitting in church, the Lord's speaking, this is God's word, we have a tendency to pick it up and go, Man, that was for that person. <laughs> oh, he's speaking to sister so-and-so. 
Has anybody ever done that? Okay, we got one, a couple honest people. <laughs> Man, you guys are such an awesome church. Let's just, just can, can the musicians come? But we fork it. And all the while, God's like, hey, I'm talking to you. Like, this, this is for you too. Your brother Michael Woods, long time ago, he preached a message on a Wednesday night in Bismarck called, If the Shoe Fits. If the shoe fits, it's like, put it on. So we have a tendency to do that. And this is, and Jesus talked about this and judging. Matthew, Jesus had, had, a, had an interesting thing to say about this. And in Matthew 7 and 1, he says, Judge not that ye be not judged. Okay, he says, For with what judgment ye judge, you, you will be judged. And with the same measure ye meet, it shall be measured unto you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? He says, or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. He says, thou hypocrite. He says, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. How did I get on this? I'm talking about self-examination. And the next verse, actually, Paul talks about judging yourself. But Jesus, uh, he, he, he's talking about you walk around picking the specks, the little things in your brother and sister's eye, and you have a huge old log in your own eye. Uh, you're walking around. You can hardly see where you're going, right? Just picture this big old log sticking out. Like, you're like bumping into the walls and stuff, okay? And you're like, and you're, you're worried about brother's speck in his eye. Jesus is like, worry about the log in your own eye. And it amazes me that people with this big log in their eye, that they can even see the speck. I'm like, I don't even understand it. But Jesus said, if you will get the log out of your own eye first, you will then be able to see clear, Okay? And you will then be able to make a better judgment about your brother and sister in church. Uh, you, you know, and I believe in iron sharpeneth iron. Okay? I believe that I'm my brother's keeper. I believe in all that. Okay? But let your judgment, you let your priority be on you. You worry about what's in your own eye. Okay? Before you're so easily able to make a judgment about somebody else. I'm, I'm just, this is kind of just going against the grain of human nature, okay? The word of God goes against the grain of human nature. We can be get some, so consumed with other people's problems. My mom and dad, they always say, I'm not gonna own it. That's what they always say. They talk about other people's problems, you know, someone's having an issue, they're like, I'm not owning it. I'm just gonna try help them. That's a good way to look at it. Like, we don't need to own other people's problems. I mean, I'm all about trying to help people. But let your judgment start in your own house. Examine yourself. This is a, this is a biblical concept. Like take a good audit of your own self. You know, David was good at this. Psalms 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. 
David knew how to examine himself. And self-examination cannot be done by self. Okay, you can't do it by yourself. Um, if, you, if you do all your self-examination by yourself, you will be looking into a dark room and you won't find anything wrong. You need the light of Christ to shine into that dark room. You need him to reveal things to us. Proverbs 21, 2 says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts, okay? We think we're right. And I, you know, there's been times, I had a moment a couple years ago where I was, I don't know if I was arguing with Jaden or who it was, somebody at work, and I, I thought that I was right, like absolutely right about something. Like there was no questions. <laughs> a couple of days later, I was like, I was wrong. Like I was way wrong. And I was like, man, you know, I really thought I was right. I'm a little more careful now. I'm like, you know, I, I guess I could be wrong. Okay, every way of a man is right in his own eyes. Okay, and I, I've said this before, but just remember, you could be wrong. You could be wrong. Okay, so we need to let the Lord help us examine our hearts, that he could shine that light into, into that dark room, okay, and he could reveal some things to us. Verse 29, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body, for this cause... He said, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. So we were talking about self-examination as it pertains to communion. This is what Paul is talking about. But I believe we can take that self-examination, we can apply it to the rest of our lives. But here Paul is talking about those who, who uh, eat and drink the Lord's Supper uh, unworthily as the, as the Corinthians were. He says, for this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Paul just told them, he says, because they had defiled the Lord's Supper and had done it improperly with the, with the wrong heart, he says, many are sick and many have died. That's what he said. I'm just like, wow, that's, that's kind of crazy. People were sick because of this. People died because they, they took communion <laughs> and their heart wasn't right. And uh, I, I got to looking into this. I'm like, Lord, is this, is this really right? And here's what Brother Tree said, Marvin Tree. He says, no amount of theological gymnastics or imposition of religious tenets can soften the plain language of the Apostle Paul. He said, the possibility of ill health or physical death resulting from insincerity and misapplication in spiritual matters looms very real overhead. Wow. It says the reason that there is a physical effect for inappropriate observances is because our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And any defilement of the body brings destruction. And he talked about how the next chapter Chapter 12, talking about the, the body again and the gifts of the Spirit. So they bring in detail of how the body of Christ functions in regards to each member. 
He said, it has been well said that a backslidden Christian may perform some duties in the church without such judgments, but communion will not allow insincere participation. Wow, that's incredible. It's a serious thing. It's a serious thing. And it's a, it's a great thing. Like it has great blessing. Okay, it has great blessing, but if it's done incorrectly, it also has a great consequences. So we're not taking communion tonight, so we'll, we'll talk about that a little later, but I believe that self-examination is something that we, we uh, should put on our list, that we, sh- we should really do. We should say, God, you know, I, I want you to shine. You know, I, I, you know, sometimes we get hung up on certain ways of thinking, certain opinions of things, and, and, uh, and it seems like you're going against the grain of everybody else. When you're in those times, you really need to, 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 to communicate with God. You really need to say, God, I, I feel a certain way right now, and I, I don't think it's right. Can you shine the light of the Holy Ghost into my room? And let me do a sincere you, you know, examination of, of my heart, and my motives. And uh, God will reveal it to you. Amen. Verse 31, it says, for, it says, For if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. If we judge ourselves, we would not have to be judged or chastened uh, by God in this way. He's like, if you would do a self-examination first, then I won't have to chasten you. Verse 32, but when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. So there are times where we, we get off, we, we mess up, and God chastens us. And he wants to, he disciplines us. And, and, uh, and this is all part of God's plan. This, is, this isn't a hard-handed judge but a father who loves, who's rich in mercy, and he doesn't want you to be condemned with the rest of the world. That's why he chastened us. Hebrews 12 and 6, we know this scripture, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons, for what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? He's like, it's a very natural thing for a father, an earthly father, to discipline their kids. Okay, this is a very natural thing, and it's appropriate, and it's right. He, and he goes on to say that, you know, if we accept this in the physical, why wouldn't we want it in the spiritual? Why wouldn't we, want our, why wouldn't we think it's appropriate for our spiritual father to discipline us, to ground us? To give us a, a good old whooping. Every, I, I've had some whoopings from the Lord. Like just straight up. Like just, like just called me out. Because I was wrong. And uh, I'm, just, I'm thankful that the Lord cares enough about me to discipline me. <laughs> I'm thankful that he would do that. You know, there are times where the Lord calls out a specific situation in church or speaks to somebody Directly, as a matter of fact, he did it when Brother Holloway was here, and uh, and we kind of think of that as you know it's, that's hard and, and whatnot. And but I'm thinking, man, the grace of God, 
the mercy of God, that he would, he would love somebody enough to chasten them, to discipline them. Amen? Verse 11 says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. It's not fun, but grievous. Nevertheless, said afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. It ain't fun in the process. He said, it's, it's actually grievous. He says, nevertheless, I, 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 we've got to be able to endure correction. And there's this, you know, no one really, you know, we, we have, our flesh does not like to be corrected. It just doesn't. And, uh, but f- we've got to be able to handle correction from God, even when it's painful. We've got to be able to handle the pain of the discipline to receive the joy of eternity. Verse 33 and 34 says, Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together into condemnation, and the rest will I set in order when I come. So I, I, the main subject here was the Lord's Supper, how the Corinthians were doing it. And Paul was correcting it. And we kind of took some other principles, though. There's you know, self-examination and, and being chastened. And we, we can take these things and apply them to our lives. Amen? God's good. It's dark out. Wow, I didn't preach that long. No. Sun's going down a little quicker. But uh, So next week, uh, we will be on chapter 12. We may or may not spend two weeks on chapter 12 talking about the gifts of the Spirit. I'm kind of excited to, to get to that, that subject. And uh, God is good. We've got church Sunday. we got Brother Cornwell coming the 19th. So we will have church the 18th, which is a Wednesday night, and also Thursday night, which is the 19th. So Thursday night at 7 o'clock, the 19th. And then we'll have a soul-winning Bible study seminar that's Saturday morning at 9 a.m., I'm excited about that. And then also keep All Nations Sunday um, in your prayers. Uh, Brother uh, Denville uh, from Williston is going to be preaching for us on All Nations Sunday. So we're going to, and this is going to be kind of a busy weekend because we have that deal going on Saturday. And then we're going to have All Nations Sunday Sunday. But please, if we can get a sign-up sheet, just Michaela, for in the back for, for potluck. If you could make your fav- favorite family dish. Whatever ethnicity, ethnicity, I cannot say that word ever. How do you, how, ethnicity, I was trying to say it the other day too. And uh, if you could make that for this potluck, and, and most importantly, that we'd just be inviting people. Okay, Brother Denville is a, he's a great preacher, kind of an evangelist, and he'll pray, pray you through to the Holy Ghost. So, God is good, let's stand tonight. Is there anything else? I think feel like I'm missing something. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy tonight. God, I pray that you would have your hand, God, upon this church, upon every man, woman, and child. God, I pray that we would go forth, God, that we would walk in your will, God, walk in your way. God, that you would bless every home. God, bless every, bless every child. God, that we would just walk in, in your will today. God, in Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name.